this is one of the crazy things about about real estate is that you don't you don't have to just make one profit on one property. I've, I've, this is my third profit center on the same property. Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through real estate. We'll be discussing the most important lessons or better known as the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance with new and experienced investors to help you get into real estate investing or scale up your portfolio. So make sure to tune in. What's going on everyone? It's Ross Nadai. I'm a real estate agent and investor and host of the Real Estate Golden Nuggets podcast. I have an amazing episode full of golden nuggets for you. If you like this podcast and gotten any value out of it, please share this far and wide to reach as many people as possible. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so that you can stay up to date on the most recent episodes. Thank you so much for your support. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another great episode of Real Estate Golden Nuggets. I have a very special guest on board today. I have Cam here, who's an investor. Uh, he's invested pretty much in different regions, but he's heavily invested in uh, Winnipeg. Manitoba. And what I like about his strategy is he's a, a man of all sorts of uh, skills. He's done uh, land development, he has rent to owns, and he has uh, buy and hold. So he has a lot of experience. And I'm so grateful to have him on board today to share his journey, his experience with the rest of you guys. So uh, without further ado, uh, Cam, if you can please just give us a little bit of introduction about yourself for the folks that don't know, and uh, tell us a little bit about you know what your portfolio looks like and so forth. So go ahead, please. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. It's great to be here with you. And I'm excited to, uh, you know, share a bit about my journey. And, you know, because we're all on different journeys in terms of where we come from and where we're heading, all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, you know, in a nutshell, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad back in 2006. Uh, and I bought my first rental property after reading that book, mm-hmm. basically using the basic principles. Uh, and it just, I just loved it. And I ended up getting, you know, a few more doors, bought a bunch of education. And then I was at a point where it's like, I wanted to do this full time. I'd been working with a church organization for 17 years and I felt it was time for me to personally move on. And so, you know, my five buy, rent and holds uh, weren't going to cash flow enough for me to quit my day job with, you know, three kids at home and, and uh, well, I was going to say a mortgage, you know, I had several mortgages. Most of them were covered for, but I had my own primary mortgage. And uh, that's when I remember rent to own lease option is a way of um, flipping uh, deals on their, on their heads in terms of cash flow, right? Because buy rent and holds, you typically don't generate a lot of cash flow. Uh, if you're doing it, you know, correctly, where you're putting money aside for, for future stuff, you know, rent to owns is like higher cash flow. Now your overhead is low because you've got either the the owner or you've got your tenant buyer looking after the property. Anyway, sorry, you can tell I'm excited about this. I'm just kind of jumping into the details already. Love but it. yeah, so, uh, you know, 2010, I quit my day job uh, doing, doing lease option deals and uh, it's just kind of never quit doing it. And, you know, from uh, 2010 to 2015, I scaled from five doors to 45 doors. Uh, in those five years, those 40 doors were all essentially no money down deals for me. Mm-hmm. So it's a fantastic strategy to 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 grow quickly, to increase your cash flow. And so, yeah, and in that time, I've done a ton of other stuff. I've, you know, as many people, I have struggled with a shiny object syndrome. And so I've learned some hard lessons with that. And we can go into some of that stuff. But, you know, I keep coming back to rent-to-own lease options. And uh, for the last three years, I've been coaching other investors how to successfully do the strategy as well. So that's a little bit about me. What that entails and how does somebody jump into, uh, you know, that sort of strategy? How do you convince somebody to invest with you with no money down? Because we hear that quite a lot, but what does that actually mean? How do you generate and, and get to that point? Basically, it's the idea that, uh, uh, you know, you've got a property and, um, you know, either you're, you're helping somebody uh, get out of a property 
and you're taking control of the property, that's essentially what I call a no money down deal. So, okay. so I, so I control, so I run the deal, but I didn't have to qualify for a mortgage and I didn't have to qualify with, you know, 20% down of the purchase price, right? Usually those transactions for me represented by a hundred dollar check, right? And it's a check because then it's traceable, you know, cash is not traceable once you, you right. do it. So, so, you know, when I talk about these no money down deals, I'm actually spending a hundred dollars per deal. I hope that's okay to call that a no money down deal, but uh, it's better than, you know, spending uh, 60 grand. Uh, I'd much rather spend a hundred and control right. the deal and, and get cash flow from it. So there's so many different ways, right? So part of, part of my portfolio is helping other families get into home ownership who couldn't otherwise get into home ownership, right? So I'm not talking about low income, uh, you know, uh, stuff like that. These are people who've got good jobs. They can, they've got enough money for, for mortgage payments, right? Mm-hmm. Like often people just think, you know, rent to own, they equate that with, with, uh, you know, low income and, and, you know, that sort of stuff. So when, when I help a tenant buyer, right, a rent to own client into one of my properties, you know, they're usually putting $10,000 down plus or minus, uh, you know, they're giving that to me and my company mm-hmm. and we're putting them into the property. They've got enough income to qualify for the mortgage, but the bank isn't saying yes to them yet. So over the course of three years, we help them build up a down payment with us, right? Starting with that ten thousand up front, and then, you know, usually three to five hundred dollars extra each month, so that after three years, they've got about seven percent of the purchase price of the of the property, and then we also help them build or repair their credit. So that's that's a part of my business that is helping people get into home ownership. Now, there's so many other areas because you know, if you've seen any of my stuff, you, you've heard me talk about, you know, uh, working with tired and frustrated landlords and mm-hmm. tired and frustrated landlords are a, an awesome resource to find properties to help people out of a headache. Right. And, right. and uh, you know, help really what you become is their exit strategy. But then you pick up a property for, you know, for a hundred bucks and, you know, with a bunch of paperwork, and then now you control the property. So whether or not you want to turn around and put a rental and client in there, use it as an Airbnb, um, use it and add it to your portfolio over time. You know, when I when I did my first one back in 2010, it all started with, you know, I'd, I'd been doing my own thing, uh, meaning that I was qualifying for mortgages, you know, I think at that time it was, you know, 10% down as an investor. And um, little did I know it, but I was a walking elevator pitch, right? An elevator pitch is is, is a really short, enticing um, uh, representation that wants that that uh, makes people want to hear more. So I had a couple uh, uh, friends with them, worked with them at, at at work, and and they're basically like, we we really are loving what you're doing. And we'd like to invest. We'd have no idea where to start. Could we invest with you? So I said, uh, sure. That uh, I have no idea how we'll do it, but let's figure it out. And it really wasn't on my 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 radar at that point. And but, anyways, um, long story short, with that one was um, this is kind of around the time when I was starting to explore the idea of doing rent tone. So. I went out and I looked at a ton of properties and I would boil them down. You know, if I looked at a hundred properties, I looked at seriously at 10, you know, out of the 10, I would have presented to them three different deals, right? I've got a seven page performer. And so long story short with that, they ended up buying the property. Okay. And they put down um, uh, $40,000 at the time and they qualified for the mortgage mm-hmm. and they never set foot on the property. They, they trusted me with, with uh you know all the details i'm i'm sure they drove by it but uh you know so so i looked after then i found a found a rental client to put into it so my investors over here bought qualified and bought the property they had an agreement with with me and my well at that time it was just me it wasn't my company uh then agreement with me that i would pay them rent every month right and and I would look after all the details of the property. They wouldn't have any 
uh, tenant phone calls, um, they wouldn't have any tenant, you know, headaches. Uh, if rent was late, I was still paying them, right? So mm-hmm. I took on that responsibility. And then I turned around and then I found qualified tenant buyers to put in the property, right? So these guys had $22,000 to put down. That was my first deal. So I got 22K up front. And each month I was paying the owners uh, $1,200, but I was getting $1,400 in total from the tenant buyers. Is that making sense? Yeah. So walk me through. So, so say I'm somebody who is interested in that model, right? And I want to get into that. So does that encompass uh, you purchasing the property first and then I come in as a money partner or how does that work? I guess I'm not clear on that. Yeah, no, you can do that. You can do it. You can do it with your own properties. I've done it with my own properties. Uh, so, so I work with two types of investors, right? The first is, is, is this couple I described to you that right. they said they want to invest with me. I found them a property. So there's mm-hmm. lots of people out there like that who've got good incomes. Right. Uh, they can qualify for a second, third, or fourth mortgage, and they've got the down payment. But they don't want to be hands-on swinging a hammer, unplugging a toilet, or dealing with tenants, right? I so see. those are those are turnkey investors where basically I give them a plug-and-play house. They just buy it. I look after everything. But then I'll turn around and I'll put a tenant buyer in the property, right? So that's a, that's a that's what's called a sandwich lease. And okay. you know, because of sandwich, right? Because of the owner, myself, and then the tenant buyer. But now replace these these investors that I told you about, these friends of mine, mm-hmm. uh, with a tired and frustrated landlord. So the tired and frustrated landlord is someone who's already got a property, but they don't know what to do with it, or they can't unload it, or they're tired of dealing with tenants, any number of things. Right. I mean, right. I've worked with people, it's it was their own house. <clears throat> And they just didn't want to deal with with realtors or having, you know, you know, hundreds of people walk through their house, right? So I secured a deal with them. I became their exit strategy. Uh, to I've worked with uh, like other investors who've had, you know, 50, 50 doors, and I became their exit strategy over time, right? So one one guy started with with one property, and I think I've taken uh, about twenty two properties off his hands over about five or six years, right? Wow. So so I became his exit strategy. And so, you know, people who are starting out will go like, well, how did you find these people? And it's just like, you know, once you start doing it, they just start rolling in because those yeah. first investors, <clears throat> excuse me, that asked me if they could invest with me. Like I said, I wasn't hunting for them, but, you know, I had an elevator pitch I didn't realize. And, um, and and so literally from that one couple, uh, investors like that snowballed over over the next six years because they would tell their friends and they would tell their friends. And right. literally, I would have uh, some of these investors who were investing with me would host meetings to tell their friends about what I'm doing. And, you know, I mean, I, if if like if one of their investor friends you uh, purchased, I would give them a finder's fee, of course, but literally just kept on snowballing. Same with tired and frustrated landlords, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you like tired and frustrated landlords, uh, like are looking for someone who they can trust ex- as an exit strategy with a property. So what you end up doing with that property from a tired and frustrated landlord, it can be you put a rental and client into it. You can do a flip with it. You can turn it to a buy, rent, and hold. You can wholesale it. There's all these different exit strategies. But once you start to realize uh, that there are these tired and frustrated landlords out there, mm-hmm. and now you just kind of kind of market to them. And, and, you know, most of my deals come to me via word of mouth. I mean, you know, I can't advertise for investors, right? You need a, you need a securities license to do that. And so, yeah, most of my deals have been through through word of mouth, and so it's just kind of grown, and that's that's why, you know, from 2010 to 2015, I I I, I scaled up by 40 doors, <clears throat> right, right. You know, like with an average of 10 or 12 thousand dollars upfront per door from my tenant buyers, mm-hmm. and an average cash flow from each property about 350, right? So you start multiplying 350 a month. 
right cash flow that's that's beside the 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 lease payment you start right. doing 350 a month times 40 doors a month yeah that's your cash flow right you start doing 10 or $12,000 on each of those 40 deals and like you can start to see how profitable this can be with with focus and um yeah so that's really one of the reasons why I love it so much is just cuz every deal's a little bit different and it's about it's about creative problem solving so yeah yeah i was going to say so I, I think what what really or what you're tackling is is you're trying to solve problems right on one aspect you you're dealing with landlords who don't want to deal with management side of the business where you come in and yeah. with whether you kind of take over and and uh, buy it from them or wholesale it or um, or I guess in one aspect, are they still letting you kind of run the show, but they're still owning it. And then you have your own cut in, in a way, like you're kind of like a property manager and it sounds like, and then on the it, other kind of, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then on the other, you could potentially just wholesale it, right? Some people just want to exit yeah. strategy and they don't want to go deal with realtors and whatnot. And then you just come in and, and take over the, uh, the property and give them fast cash centrally. Yeah. So basically what happens in all of these deals that we're talking about is that, uh, once, once the paperwork is signed between me and the owner, okay. whether or not if it's a new purchase right. or the owner's already owned it, once the paperwork is done, I now control the property via paperwork. I control the deal. And, um, you know, so, th- you know, they, they like it because they know that I'm fully invested in the property. I'm not like right. going give me the keys to your property and uh, we'll see if I can make some money from it. It's like, you know, I do my due diligence. Once I know I I can, I can do something with it. We sign up all the documents. Now I'm running with that property. I've got a commitment to these people. Right. 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 And so you just, you just kind of keep going with that. So back in 2010, when, when these, these friends said they want to invest with me and we got that first property Mm -hmm. and I got that check for 22, thousand up front and total $1,400 a month, I sat back and looked at the numbers and, and went, okay, so I just made $22,000 up front. I'm making $200 a month cash flow on a property that the tenants are responsible for repairs. Okay. Right. And I've got hundred bucks into it. How many more of these can I do? Yeah. And I just, I just, it just, it just hit me. It was like, this is totally duplicatable because if this couple wanted to do it and they had like no investing experience, right? Uh, you know, how much more will, you know, will others want to do this? And then it just, it just kind of took off from there. So how is this any different than essentially a, a JV agreement is what I'm trying to understand, it's, right? Because, because yeah, it, it's, it's very similar to a JV agreement. I think it's much cleaner and a lot less paperwork in the sense that anytime you do a JV uh, agreement, you got to drop new documents uh, with a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, based on what both parties want. Right here. I've already got the paperwork drawn up and okay. it's just like, um, they maintain, they maintain control, right? The owners maintain control of, of the fact that they've got the mortgage and, and their name is on title. But, and then, so we agree that I'm going to pay them X a month. Okay. Right. So on that first deal, it was, I'm going to pay you 1200 bucks a month, every month. And I'm going to buy it off of you in three years at X price. So all the decision-making is done ahead of time, just like a, a really solid joint venture agreement. Mm-hmm. But if you're starting from scratch on each property with, with a JV, that really gets expensive. And then you multiply that by, you know, trying to keep track of 40 different JV agreements where they're all a bit different. Right. That's a nightmare. Whereas it's like, I just, I tell my investors, this is how I run my, my program and my systems. And this is the paperwork. And sure, there's maybe some odd tweaks here and there. But for the most part, I would say that they're 95% identical, if not close to 99%. Uh, on them. So it just becomes a lot cleaner and a lot faster. So it is very much like a JV, but it's just set up uh, much more plug and play paperwork uh, so that it's just simple 
and we can just, you know, keep going. So what does your typical, like a JV agreement, or in this case, your rent to own look like? Like, do you have a specific timeline to say, hey, Ross is going to be the one purchasing the property. He's going to put the down payment. He's going to go on title. And then in say X amount of years, he's going to buy it for as, as amount set pre predetermined. Is it already in place or, or because things change in the market quite a bit, right? So how yeah, does that work? Market changes. And, you know, it's a bit of a crystal ball, but it's an educated crystal ball based on on what the market has been doing and and where it's projected. Okay. I mean, we're in a we're in a different market now. We're we're a little bit in a, you know, people will say for a lot of centers across Canada that we're in a in a seller's market. And and we are, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's really a sideways market because we don't know what's going to happen, right? Cuz you've, you know, we've heard of stuff across the country, you know, bidding wars going way over and we don't know with all that's going on with the economy we don't know if we're going to see a huge crash or a huge dollar devaluation or massive inflation or you know there's all these things that are kind of swirling out there so um but yeah all that stuff is determined ahead of time and it's based on a rate of return it's it's you know so usually what I'm trying to do for my investors is is I'm trying to get them uh, about fifteen percent annual return on the money that they put into the project. I see. I see. So that that okay. becomes that becomes the benchmark for how many years? Though, does, what does a typical like I guess uh, uh, term look like? Three three to four years. So okay. you know that that would be forty five to sixty percent return. Um, over over the course of those uh, three to four years, that first deal I keep telling you about mm-hmm. back in 2010. So that went five years. Uh, my investors made 110 percent on that deal. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's that's and, quite a return for somebody with like who's not managing it at all, right? They don't they save the headache. They don't have to deal with it. They don't gotta do. see. That's that's what I love about it, uh, Cam. So it's uh, I, you know investing is very sexy in on paper, right? But what people yeah. don't sometimes realize is, is the amount of work that it takes, especially when you're the active partner, it's, yeah. you do have to deal with, with a lot, right? It may seem easy, but there is management all the time. And I, 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 I um, have this conversation quite often with folks and I'm like, sure, you can have a property manager, but then guess what? You're managing the property manager. <laughs> like that's another job in itself. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's not hands-free investing, no. uh, you know, because you got to manage it. Now, um yeah to you know so from from my angle of it it's it's you know it's just more duplicating what i'm already doing right so then you can have staff that that run the systems and and right. all that sort of stuff. so yeah my my first few were were a fair bit of work because i was on a very steep learning curve right uh but once you get up and running it's 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 so much more you know plug and play and you've got momentum going because you've got a bunch of deals you know, in play and getting, getting your fifth one takes about half as much work as your first one. Just oh, because absolutely. Yep. you're, you've got that momentum. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as of right now, and so you mentioned a couple of key things. So because the way you've scaled over time and you said you have a company, so do you have employees that work with you and they're kind of helping you manage these, uh, you know, large portfolio or, or is it primarily run by yourself? How, how are you dealing with that? Yeah. Great question. So I've ebbed and flowed, uh, so I've got several different companies and um, they're all real estate uh, based. And so, you know, you, you hear uh, mostly about all the sexy stuff, uh, yeah. you know, from, yeah. from people, you know, I've had, I've had a business with a couple of partners uh, that failed miserably about three years ago and it affected everything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I was at about four staff. I'm down to myself and and you know one and a half other people right now. Um, okay. And so, yeah, it is what it is, and you you just keep trucking along. And you know, I think that's so important. You know, whether you, whether you think it or not, everybody's in sales, and and there's just a lot of no's in sales. Period. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And you have to be okay with that. You got to learn that. That's just it. My my kids have taught me so much about sales because children are the best salespeople there. They are just persistent beyond all belief and they don't give up. Right. 
And that's how we have to be in life as adults when we're trying to achieve our goals. We have to be persistent and not give up. Absolutely. I love that. And uh, that, that's, a, that's a very uh, uh, fair assessment for sure, especially when it comes to any, any sort of business, any, any aspect in life. Absolutely. You, you can't just give up the first time you fall on your face, right? You know how to get up. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because usually one of the things I like to ask folks is, you know, because we learn our, our uh, success comes from failures. So do you mind sharing perhaps some of your failures and, and kind of what you learn from those that perhaps people listening can avoid, you know, getting themselves into or at least know of? Uh, you know, it's probably three things that jump right out at me. Uh, one is, you know, don't fake it till you make it. Uh, lots of Lots of uh, people will talk about faking it until you make it. And I just think I tried it and uh, I, I faked it so bad that I, I made it. Uh, <laughs> it just, you know, people see through that. And so what I tell my students now is like, you know what? Like, because so many people want to have the right answers before they do anything, right? They want to be perfect. Our school system has taught us that way, right? That's right. We don't. You don't hand it in until it's perfect. Well, it's just like, that's going to take you forever. And um, so, you know, simple task, you know, make a phone call to a for sale by owner. Well, what, I don't know what to say. Uh, what if he asked me this or what if he asked me that? And, you know, you spend days and, and weeks on, on, on that. And then analysis paralysis kicks in and then it's like, they don't have any results. Therefore, real estate sucks, right? And yeah. Um, yeah. so what I say is, you know what? If you've got some basic information, what you do, make the phone call, ask some questions. They're going to ask you stuff that you don't have the answers to. You right. know what? That's okay. Yeah. Because what it's going to do for you is, is, first of all, you say, you know, that's a really good question. I don't have the answer to that. Let me get back to you. So now you were genuine, right? That's a check mark right there. Right. <clears throat> Secondly, it gives you uh, a legit reason to call back, right? Because sales is about repeated contacts. Yeah. So, and then if you go out and actually find the answer and then come back, that's another check mark. Like, whoa, this person actually did what they said they were going to do. And now you've got another touch point, right? So don't fake it till you make it. Just be real. And, and it's okay if you don't have all the answers. It, that actually produces more fruit because you can, you can uh, get more information. You're going to learn more because you're not learning in a vacuum anymore. You're learning by real-life questions, not, not what the fear inside of you thinks the questions are going to be. It's going to be real-life questions. So don't fake it until you make it. Um, you know, uh, choose your partners wisely. Uh, in terms of you know who you work with, yeah, that's I would, a very I would say important. It's one. a big one for for that. Is that even even when folks are doing a lot of joint ventureships, and you know it's very attractive when you have someone coming in with with money in their hand and they're like, here, here. No, you got to be careful. You got you got to vet them because this is a long term relationship. I think uh, I'm glad you brought it up again. I think one of the biggest things that we miss out, especially when the sales is is it's all relationships. You have to maintain relationships. It's not about qual uh, quantity, it's about quality, right? So make sure you, you have a, a fine understanding. You both are on the same page because you don't want to run into a scenario where things are not working well and their expectations are of something else and yours is something else. And then you have this whole headache, right? <laughs> you want to eliminate it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want to you you want to find out who their past partners are right you want to practice safe partnership here <laughs> and it's true it really is true and um so and then the third one uh is um I, i'm not sure how to summarize this but basically it's like we we get so caught up in the flash of you know we get we get some money and, uh, you know, we want, we want the lifestyle, you know, whether that's vacation or expensive clothes or, or cars and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that, that stuff is, is, can come and go so quick and it can go really quick if you don't know how to manage it. Right. So some of the early mistakes I made was, was not, um, not managing that part of, of my life as well as, as um, having full control of where my money 
is coming from and where it's going. Right. It was like, right. you know, checks were coming in and investors were buying properties for me. They're writing me checks and, and, um, you know, so I learned some hard lessons that way in terms of, you know, just, um, uh, you know, managing money really is what it comes down to right, right. and, and not, not allowing the shiny object to detract from, from the business. Right. And so, yeah, lifestyle changes, right? And and that's that's what it is. If you if you make a little bit more money and you go spend that, you you just upgrade it. So guess what? Now you're as broke as you were before because now you have to maintain that lifestyle, right? So I totally agree with you. So uh, frugality, I think, especially for for investors starting out, is a very key component to it. I'm not by by any means. I'm not I'm not saying you know don't live the lifestyle you want to, but you have to be just careful because at the end of the day, this is a business. So. For a business to continue to grow, you have to keep re- reinvesting in it. So don't blow all the, the money that you made. You know, Make sure that you have this continuous plan and you can c- keep pushing for it if that's what your objective and goals are, right? Yeah, if you want that nice car, buy an asset first that's going to pay for that car. Correct, correct. Because when now, now you know, you've got it covered and when that liability, when that car depreciates, right. uh, you've still got the asset to, to buy your next car, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really simple, but uh, it's, it's a great strategy. Absolutely. No, that that's true. And then I'm glad you brought this up too, because you mentioned something about the shiny um, object syndrome, which is a very common thing, right? So let's, let's pivot that now when it comes to real estate, because one of the other um, things that we tend to get distracted by is, Oh, there's a deal here. Oh, there's a deal here. Oh, what if I what if I go to Alberta? Or oh, what if I go to Edmonton? Or oh, what if I go to Moncton? What if I go to BC? Right? You have been in the game for quite some time, right? So tell me a little bit about your, your experience and how you're able to kind of put your put your focus in one region and just kind of build around that, especially over the years, because I'm I'm sure every year there's always every I would just say every day the market is shifting and it's changing quite a bit. So can you share a little bit of knowledge, I guess wisdom and knowledge on that end? Yeah, I mean, you know, back in 2010 when I quit my day job, it was it was really easy to be super focused because I had no other income. I I had to focus. I had to get these deals done. Mm-hmm. But you know, after a couple of years of that, when when I had you know a ton of doors uh, and money was flowing pretty good, uh, you know, all of a sudden, about halfway through 2015, uh, woke up one day. It's like, okay, so I've got. You know, I've got over 50 rent-owned doors. I've got a, I've got a bunch of uh, buy, rent, and holds. Uh, we're doing an apartment block build of 48 units. We're doing a land development of 64 lots. And we're looking into Texas for something else. Wow. And it's like all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, it's all sec- It's all cool, right? Like everyone's, yeah. wow, you, how are you doing all that? And But right. yeah, you know, midway, you know, end of second quarter, 2015, it's like, holy smokes, like we're getting nowhere on all of these projects because they were shiny objects, right? This was me, me and a couple other guys and, you know, the, the rent to own and the, and the flip company was my own, uh, you know, buy rent and holds were my own, but some of these other bigger projects were with other people. And so, yeah, that, that, um, that was a tough season because one of the big things there was uh, uh, one of my business partners was uh, was was taking money from the company and uh, we we lost a eight million dollar project because of that. Oh, wow. So that's why I say that's why I say you know pick your partners wisely. Yeah. Uh, but that that was kind of the start of all that stuff when started to see this project wasn't going well. It's just like what's going on here and. Woke up in my own life that I was too, I was spread too thin and, and it was all shiny object syndrome. Right. And, you know, social media just feeds into that because, because you might have your goal and your focus and that that's really key, but then you'll be scrolling or whatever. And, and you'll see someone do this project where, you know, she made X amount or he cash flowed X amount. It's like, Holy smokes! I got to start doing that. It's just like, but it totally diverts you from your goal, and you know the shiny object syndrome just robs you of that. 
And that's why it's so important to stay focused on your, on your goals, right? Like I, I just, <clears throat> on my uh, creative investor channel, I just did a, a short video on this um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually caught myself comparing myself to another dude who's doing some great stuff, but different from what I'm doing. It's just like, oh man, I feel like such a loser. And it's like, dude, what are you, what are you talking about? Because he's doing something that you're currently not doing. So, and we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people, period. We should be comparing ourselves to who we were yesterday, who we were last month, who we were last year and, and have our goal so crystal clear that each day when we wake up, we are focused on, on doing the things that propel our goals forward. Mm-hmm. And that's all we should be comparing ourselves to. And, you know, people who are doing good stuff, we should be cheerleading them on and, right. and not right. being jealous, not being, you know, whatever, just say, that's awesome. Way to go, man. And, and encourage them. And hopefully people will encourage you and I, as we do stuff, but focus on our own stuff, yeah. focus on our own goals to see true results because that's when you start to see true results is when 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 you get crystal clear in your goals and then you just hammer away at them and get them done as quickly as possible for sure for sure now going back on that on the real estate side right so have you been mainly focusing on one market or has it been a vast like tell me a little bit more about like i guess your market right now what does that look like right now are there still deals to be made and i guess what are some of the fundamentals that you did you feel comfortable investing there I've uh, I've mostly stayed here in Manitoba just because there's just so much opportunity. I mean, we're not a, that big of a province. What our our our, our province is like, you know, 1.2 million. Our city, you know, Winnipeg here, I think, is about 700 thousand people. So, right. you know, we're very small compared to you know, you know, out out your way and and out west and all that sort of stuff. But um, uh, there's just there's just Lots of opportunity. And and the thing is, even now in, in this market with with you know the lack of inventory on so many markets because of COVID fears and all that sort of stuff, yeah, we're seeing um places going for way more than what the numbers will work as a as a rental. So right. so you gotta buy right. And and even in this market, I mean, there's places here that are going for you know 17 uh you know bids total on a on a single family wow and basically each bid represents five thousand dollars increments right and and not that they're all 17 bids but you know some of them there's no bid because it's not priced right but there are stuff is crazy and so but you know you hear about that in Kelowna you hear about that in the GTA you hear about in Ottawa Mm -hmm. it's everywhere and I'm sure there are markets that aren't experiencing but um, but there are still opportunities out there. You got to change the way you look at stuff. And, yeah. and so, you know, cause when I started my first, uh, buy, rent and hold, it was like, you know, MLS and doing drive around looking for MLS signs. I didn't even know what FISBO signs were. And, yeah. uh, you know, I bought retail. I overpaid for the property. Fortunately it worked out well. I still cash flowed. but now even in today's market, I mean, uh, just before, like in November, I picked up. Uh, eight properties from a from a tired and frustrated landlord. Uh, we ended up, uh, me and my my flipping partner, we ended up buying them uh, because the like the TFL just wanted out. We got them for thirty five cents on the dollar. Wow! And and there was bidding wars in November, and so people are <laughs> saying like. Like there's no deals to be had. So it's like you're looking in the wrong places, and uh, yeah, you can find a deal on MLS. Yeah, but if it yeah. truly is a deal, it's gone like that. But um, so it's just a matter of, of 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 changing the way that you you look for stuff because everybody and their their dog starting out with real estate investing is looking on MLS, right? So that's not where you want to be. You want to be looking where where most people aren't looking. Mm-hmm. And so most of my, my deals are private, even sometimes through a realtor, right? A pocket listing, you know, right. so they're, right. so they're, they're private that way. So now I've got a captive audience, right? I build rapport with the seller 
And they don't even look for anybody else to buy it. They go, like, I've had multiple sellers tell me, you know, once once we met, I I knew I was going to sell to you. And you just got to work out the numbers, make sure the numbers work and stuff like that. But those deals are out there. But you got to be you got to be looking for them. You got to know where to look, and you got to look for them. So and that's you what take, that's what it comes yeah. down to, Cam. Right. So for somebody who is new or you know is looking to scale, right? Of course, the safest bet, the easiest way is definitely, like you said, looking at retail and look at MLS. But how does one go into trying to find these off market deals like you're expressing, right? So are you actively um, campaigning? Um, how are you getting these leads, right? And how, what advice would you give to somebody who's starting out? How can they find these? Uh, these leads, whether it's wholesaling or whether it's those, uh, uh, you know, rent to owns, whatever it may be. Do you find that it's, it's helpful to go through like say Kijiji ads? Um, do you network to other folks? Do you do some flyer campaigning? Um, do you do cold calling? Like what is, what's, what's, what's some of the good strategies that you could recommend uh, for folks that are looking for those type of uh, off-market leads? So I've actually got a TFL guidebook. Uh, that unpacks your question, but that's specifically about finding tired and frustrated landlords. So right. for me, when I started, um, uh, you know, networking was big, making phone calls, calling for sale by owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't done any, um, any bandit signs or, or uh, flyer distribution to mass. I'll do, I'll do targeted flyers, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do, for example, is I'll case out an area and I'll drive or ride my bike and I'll kind of note all the distressed properties. Plus, I'm also looking for uh, for for sale by owners, for rent by owners. And I'm also paying attention to the ones that are listed on MLS because I'm, I'm curious to see what is going on in the market. So, uh, you know, just because I've I've talked about not buying on MLS doesn't mean you, you don't access it definitely access it that's how you find your your the true value of homes is you know what they sold for right finding comparables but you know so find an area and and target that area and then i've got you know like a one pager like i'll literally just go and knock on doors and i'll just say hey i'm i'm a i'm a local real estate investor uh i'm looking up to purchase a couple properties in this area or one property and I'm wondering if um, I wonder if you know of anybody in the area who is interested in selling. And uh, so that's that's one of my my uh, my indirect asks that I'll do as part of my my elevator pitch. Right. Is I I won't necessarily ask directly. Oftentimes when I when I knock on doors, I will. But um, the indirect ask uh, releases the the pressure. And the person I'm asking, and so they can just very graciously bow and say, "Nope, sorry, I don't know anybody. Thanks, close the door." Right. You know, whereas if if someone is in trouble with their house, and I ask if I can buy their house, that can be a really sensitive uh, subject for them. So, so I'll knock on doors, and I've got a, a one-page letter, and I also I've had stuff courier to properties. I've mm-hmm. mailed it. I've got what I call lumpy mail that it's, it's mail that is lumpy that stands out from all the other mail so they, that they open it. And then, and then, you know, persistence. So one of, one of my leads on, on those is, is finding um, pre foreclosure homes, right? Houses that are going, that are on, on route to auction, the bank is foreclosing on them and then trying to see if we can help them get out of foreclosure and you know, buying the house off them early, or structure a deal that maybe potentially keeps them in the house, all that sort of stuff. So, so when I started uh, full time doing this, I would, I, I'd, I'd push myself to make X number of of calls a day, uh, you know, on Kijiji or Craigslist or whatever, and mm-hmm. and just call for rent by owners, for sale by owners, and I've got kind of a script that I would walk through with them. So. What's great about that repetition is script is ingrained in my in my psyche now and and uh, and it, it it pushed me out of my comfort zone, yeah. right? So yeah. it it helped me with my sales and and then um, you know I would reach out to people I would uh, I would take action right. So if there's an opportunity that I saw on Kijiji or Facebook or whatever, yeah. I would yeah. follow up with that and actually do something about it. not just 
sit behind my computer and analyze it, you know, I'd actually go out and, and, you know, um, you know, talk with people, you know, shake people's hands and, and get to know people and hear what their headaches are, hear what the problems are, all that sort of stuff. And that just became a lot of um, really good experience. And so, you know, because I've been doing it full-time for the past 11 years, and I've been involved in a bunch of different groups. Um, lots of people know me. So yeah. I, I, I do very little initial hunting now. Um, and I love the hunt. I do love the hunt for finding deals. But what often happens now is that I'll get a text, phone call, email, Facebook message saying, hey, Cam, I've got a property or or I've got, you know, a friend of mine or whatever. So I've got a couple of different realtors that, you know, will call me up and, and those are often pocket listings and um, just other people. And, uh, you know, obviously lots of deals I can't do anything with. Yeah. But that's the fortunate thing about being persistent and staying with it is, is now I've got, I've got deals, you know, coming to me and lots of, lots of bird dogs out there that, that are sending stuff my way. But you know you've got to you got to put in the hard work up front Correct. to to do that stuff and and it can yeah. be a lot of fun like unless you're making offers and mm-hmm. then actually closing on some it just the momentum won't build without it. That's right. That's right. I, I think it goes with anything in life. You, you have to you have to plant, you have to cultivate, and then you harvest. Right. So it is it is basically just that. Right. So. Um, and then you, then at the end of the day, you then re up the benefits of, you know, your, your fruits of your labor essentially. Right. So it's just one of those things. Uh, so initial exactly. part of like any business, the initial starting point is the hardest, but you just have to be consistent, persistent, keep going, yeah. uh, especially in sales. Um, I don't know if we will realize, but real estate is all about sales and it's about mm-hmm. people. It's a people's business, right? So for you, I love that you mentioned, you know, when you knock on a door, if you were to knock on my door and just say, hey, I'm looking to buy a property, I may look at you and be like, first of all, who the heck are you? <laughs> right? I, 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 there's no rapport, right? I love yeah. that you mentioned instead of doing that, you're saying, hey, you're just coming a little bit more softly and saying, hey, like, do you know anybody that is considering selling? To me, then that looks like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe even if I don't know, if I'm want to sell it, maybe I can say, "Oh yeah, my neighbor is," because you seem like a legit, like genuine person, right? So it's a, I, I love it. It's all about approaches. It's all about talk tracks, mm-hmm. as you know, in sales, um, and yeah. and and you will build it over time. I think I love that you mentioned that you don't have to necessarily think, "Okay, I have to perfect the pitch." No, try it. Go knock on twenty doors. Try different yeah. different things. Try different hellos. Try different strategies and see what works. That's the yeah. only way you're gonna yeah. learn. Yeah, because you got to find your rhythm, right? Yes, that's right. You got to find your rhythm and, and you got to find out your sales approach too, right? Cause you know, like you said, real estate is all about sales. Well, you know what? Life is all about sales, right? Correct. Yeah. You have to figure out what, you know, what works for you and what works for your style. So going back to what you're saying, like don't pretend to be someone who you're not because it's, it's not going to work and people can see right through you. You can't go and pretend you're the expert of Winnipeg when you have no idea anything about the market, right? It just doesn't work. And people can definitely sense that, especially nowadays. I mean, um, it, it's no longer the whole seventies approach of, you know, car salesmen. It's, mm-hmm. it's all indirect sales. I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, as our, um, community is developing and, and generations are, are coming along, especially with social media, any, I don't think anybody's interested in direct anymore. I think it's more of an indirect approach. And the reason mm-hmm. I'm saying this is because I'm, I'm seeing how other folks that are successful are being mm-hmm. su- successful because of that approach. And I, yeah. I think you're kind of following the same footsteps, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just going back on on just the rent to owns, right? I just have a question. So, for these bis- for these properties, do you generally focus on single family or do, is it multifamily? Like, what does that look like for you, or is it a combination of both? So, for me, I've mostly focused on single family. Now, I have done it with small multifamily, like two, three doors. Right. Uh, I mean, the thing is, you can do like rent to own is is really all about the option. The option. Uh, to purchase or not, right? It, it secures mm-hmm. an asset uh, while you figure out your exit strategy, right? So, you know, maybe I'll buy it, maybe I won't. And so, you know, many of your viewers will know you can you can use an option with a car, right? It's called a lease, right? Right. right. And right. and it's you you set up monthly payments and 
you put a little bit down and then you say, okay, in, in three years, um, I'm going to buy, uh, I'm going to, I've got the option to buy it at X price. I don't have to buy it. I can walk away from it. There's certain right. parameters right. that I've got, but, um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And so you can, you can do that with, with land. You can do it with multifamily. It's just a matter of just, you know, structuring it. It's all about a win-win, right? If, if, yeah. if someone's trying to unload a multifamily, what do they ultimately need right now? And speaking of credit, I know you mentioned one of the key aspects here is, is someone may have, you know, the payments and whatnot, but they just don't have the credit score. So how do you help them kind of build that over the years? I mean, one of the yeah. biggest obstacles with it is, 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 is a human behavior. It's very hard to change the behavior. So how do you manage that? That's a great question. I mean, that, that is a challenge. Um, I, I've, I've, I've turned people away is well, yes, I've turned lots of people away, but I've had people where um, they had to make a decision. I said, okay, I will work with you, but you have to do these three things. And they were willing to do two of them, but not the third. And it's just like, you know what? If you don't change that one, three years, we're going to be right back here. And you're going to be looking at you know, personal bankruptcy. So really the people that we work with in terms of the rent-to-own clients are, are really cream of the crop people who can't get mortgages, right? Now, lots of people think, well, people who can't get mortgages, they're not cream of the crop. It's like, no, it's just like, it's like that thin layer on the top of the milk that's that's the cream there's all these people below that there's no way they're you know at the current pace that they're ever going to be qualified for a mortgage you just don't make enough money uh they have nothing saved up all that sort of stuff but then there's people who you know make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and they've got fifteen thousand dollars to put down now and they can afford over two thousand a month and they're going well why don't they just get a mortgage they can't that's the whole point they can't Right, whether if it's a, a sickness in the past that screwed up their credit, or some you know poor decisions, or often you know divorce wrecks a lot of people's credit, right? And it's just kind of like not really their own doing; it's they're doing it to each other. And and so for those people, it's just basically it's it's a fairly simple plan. It's you know getting a credit specialist to pull their credit and say, mm-hmm. okay, here's what you need to do over the next X number of months, whether it's twelve or thirty six or forty eight. Right. And, you know, don't do this. Don't acquire any new loans. Don't buy a car. Don't get a, you know, new car lease. Stick with what you've got. Um, build up your credit score by doing these few things. And uh, over time, your credit score is going to, you know, improve, increase to a point where banks will say, yes, it's it's really not very difficult. It's just a matter of getting a clear picture of that goal. That's and right. then you know, keep going towards it until that goal is complete. So do you typically put that in writing for, for these folks to say, here's your plan, Every three time. Years and you get a stick by yep. it. And is, is there like an audit or how do you keep maintain or make sure that they're following through and sticking with the plan? Yeah. So we do regular visits with our, with our tenant buyers. And, you know, you said it before, it's, you know, human nature. I mean, some people, uh, you know, don't follow through and really, what they're doing is they're they're breaking the contract. So so in my contracts, uh, one of the things is that they've got to pull their own credit score on an annual basis, minimum, and submit it to to my company, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's in hand. That's that's written in, in the contract, and not all of them do. And even when we ask them for it, they still don't do it. Right. Well, right. that's a problem, right? And so we. We set the stage for success. They've got to bring it home. They've got to take ownership. And then, so tell me this. I mean, as a, as a as an investor, uh, what happens if if I cannot deliver on my say three year term and I can't close on it? Do I do you just take possession of the property and then move on to someone else? Do I lose a deposit? Do I remain as a tenant? Like, how does that work? Let's just say I'm not able to deliver my end of the bargain after say the three year term, and my say my credit score is horrible. Yeah. So we'll look at it and we'll find out, okay, well, what, what's, what's going on that you haven't made the improvements. Right. So, mm. I mean, a bunch of my tenants right now, you know, some of them have experienced job loss and have gone on, you know, government, um, CERB. Yeah. And, um, 
banks right now are not looking friendly at CERB, right? They're going, you want CERB? I don't think we want you, right? And so, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when someone comes to me that and, and says, you know what, you know, they had a great job, but they got let go for four months or whatever they went on CERB <clears throat> and they're not, yeah, we'll, we'll extend the contract, right? Um, and other reasons, there's, there's many different reasons. I mean, we've had, we've had people lose jobs and, yeah. and then uh, we kept them on. And, you know, it's all about communication, right? Because yeah. if they're proactive with us and, and so, um, you know, it's really about working with them on that. Now, yeah, if someone walks away uh, from it, they, they basically lose their rights to the property and they uh, have the potential of getting some money back. It's all detailed in the contract, okay. but typically they walk away with, with not very much. I mean, the goal, the goal is for them to get into to home ownership, right? It's, Correct. it's, it's not like a savings program so that if you change your mind, you get all this money back. No, because my company and my investors are putting out all the risk of owning the home so that someone can get into home ownership. That's so right. we've, we've, we've got to recognize that 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 risk in that so yeah okay and then basically if someone were not to close does that not benefit you as an investor because you get to keep the property end of that term yeah so if 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 someone leaves the program mm-hmm. um our most of the time we'll just you know clean it up and we'll start over again right so there's pros and cons with that because um you know the pro with that is that you're you're making more money on that same property, right? That's right. You're you're starting over again. You're getting new deposit. Um, the con of that is that there are there are uh, you know quote unquote rent on operators who who set clients up for failure just so they can do that repeatedly, and that's right. what gives rent on a bad name a lot of times is that. People who are who don't know what they're doing, they set it up poorly, and people flame out of the program. Well, what do they talk about? They rent on was a bad experience for them, right? So, uh, you know, we try to educate our 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 clients very thoroughly before they sign paperwork. And then, how does it work? Does, does it is it treated as a lease? So, say for example, I'm, I'm not sure how it is in, in Winnipeg, but for in, in, in here in Ontario, for in, instance, it's heavily favoring the tenants, right? So. Yeah. If somebody's uh, tenant or um, the term ends, it automatically goes to month to month unless a tenant leaves or some sort of agreement comes in between us to to uh, to separate. How does that work in in your uh, in your region? It's very similar. I mean, that's that's pretty universal um, in you know any market. There are some provinces, some states that are much more uh, landlord friendly, make it much easier to evict somebody, but. Right. Yeah. I mean, here in Manitoba, it's, I would say it's just equally as hard as Ontario. I think we're probably two of the hardest, um, you know, the most uh, tenant pro tenant provinces. Um, So it's, you know what, it's, it's working within the law. Um, You know, so I follow the law and I, I do what I can do within that realm, but I also will do other things, right? I've paid people to leave. I negotiate. I, I, there's, there's many different things that you can do to help someone move on, yeah, uh, or quickly uh, without, without it being illegal or, you know, it's just a matter of negotiation. What do you need? Okay, right. You need some moving costs. Like it's, it's way cheaper to pay someone to leave early than to endure months of headaches and non-payment and then going to court and all that stuff. It's way cheaper just to pay someone, you know, upfront. Right. Right. So basically in other words, those tenants are basically assumed after those terms. So if they decide to stay even after the program ends and they don't meet the criteria, they technically are in the, in the eyes of the law tenants. And then there's on a month to month. So you have to kind of uh, figure out a negotiation tactic with them to, you know, end their tenancy. Correct. Yeah. Most, most, you know, if, if someone is in the program and they don't succeed, most people move on. Okay. Uh, okay. They don't, succeed. there's been the odd few that, 
that will dig their heels in and stay. And yeah, that's where it's, that's where, you know, okay, well, they're paying above rent, like they're paying above market rent. They're paying on time. Yeah, they're a bit of a headache, but I really don't have to deal with them much. I'll just let them stay for a while. It's no big deal. Right, right. Uh, so would that, would that uh, basically agreement continue on? So would they pay, say, market rent plus the 200 surplus, for example, the, to, to your uh, aerial example you gave us? Would that be still lawful or would they be like, oh, listen, I'm no longer part of you know, the rent to home, so I just pay the 1200 not the 1400 for instance, right? How does that work? Yeah, it's it's how you set up in your contracts. Typically, no, they won't pay that separate amount. But there's stuff like my my lease contract. I don't use the standard provincial one. I've got my own that takes into account provincial laws here. Um, mm-hmm. But then I add other stuff in there too, so I can I can offer them a discount in the lease. Uh, but then it can revert back to the higher price if something changes. And so there's you know. Once you once you understand uh, the contracts really well, it's like you can start to, you know, like maximum benefit. Do you typically find the property first, or you find the tenants first? Which one comes first? Yeah, you can do either, either either work. I've like I do both. I probably I, I not probably I do more house first than tenant first okay. because I've I've had so many. Uh, tired and frustrated landlords uh, give me properties, right? I've literally sat across the table at Starbucks and landlord had a ball of keys for four properties and he slid it across the table and says, I don't know what all these keys are for, but I trust you'll figure it out, right? So yeah. so that's just been kind of a natural one for me. Okay. Uh, I know some people that focus only on tenant first. Um, it's about finding your rhythm. And, uh, you know, doing it that way. So in my course, I teach how to do it both ways. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's that way. So. Perfect. Perfect. And do you mind sharing it? I guess, giving an example of one of the deals you've done recently, kind of like, you know, just high numbers in terms of how much you invested in it. What does the, the deal look like? How much is the tenant or the rent to own, um, folks are paying and so forth. Just so people understand kind of like the numbers and kind of how that works. It's crazy because, you know, you can make multiple profit centers on on one house, right? So I've done a lot of flips and and then I've sold it to an investor. and But then that house stays in my program. So I make money on the flip and then I now I make money on the rent-on. So this particular example, um, we, uh, my flipping partner and I, uh, we actually built uh, two brand new homes, and so I think our total cost into it was uh, just over two hundred thousand dollars per house. Sold it to an investor for uh, two thirty-two, and then uh, that investor did the paperwork we talked about at, at the top of our call, and I now continued with the same property, but I now controlled it through paperwork. Put a tenant buyer in there who put down ten thousand dollars, and um, uh, was paying the owner twelve hundred a month, and I was getting fourteen fifty a month on that property for for three years. Yeah. So my so my spread on that was three fifty, and so the tenant buyer put down ten thousand dollars, and they're responsible for repairs in the property. Mm-hmm. After three years, they split up as a couple, and. Um, uh, we got very close to him purchasing the property, and then he just called me up one day. He said, "I'm I'm done. I need to move." Uh, and so it's like, okay. So he left the property. He left some damage, so he ended up not getting any of his money back. And he used I used a portion of that ten thousand dollars to make some repairs in the property, mm-hmm. and then I filled it again with um, another tenant buyer. Uh, last um, last June, okay, and so so they put down ten thousand dollars, and they're paying um, nineteen hundred dollars a month, and I'm now paying the owner fourteen uh, fifty a month. So m- so my spread on that now is uh, four fifty. Four fifty, yeah, and and you plus some money down. So this is this is one of the crazy things about about real estate is that you don't 
you don't have to just make one profit on one property. I've, I've, this is my third profit center on the same property. And I've put a hundred dollars into it to secure the deal. Right. Once I sold it. Yeah. And then he put it back into our program for a hundred bucks. And now I've made that profit, uh, you know, for four years running on, on that deal. I know you're big on education here. So for folks that are looking to I guess, start, get started or, or better themselves, uh, can you name us just three books that uh, you would recommend them to, to read? Yeah, Essentialism by uh, Greg, Greg McCowan uh, about focus. Uh, the One Thing by Gary Keller, who, who started Keller Williams. Uh, that is a, both those books are key on focus and, and uh, you know, uh, goal setting avoiding the shiny object syndrome yeah the richest man in babylon is a, is a great book easy read perfect perfect and i know we can't travel uh, right now but if you were to go anywhere in the world where would it be and why anywhere near the ocean uh if it's the states uh thailand uh somewhere in south or central america that's where I, i'd be going so for folks that want to connect with you what's the best way to get a hold of you yeah, so my website is creativeinvestor.ca. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Creative Investor, at Creative Investor. On Facebook, it's at Creative Invest. And Cam Roland, uh, I'm on both those mediums and fairly active. So, yeah, you can find my contact information on, on those medias. Perfect, perfect. So I'll make sure to have your show notes in there. And I'll also throw in your uh, free ebook for finding, you know, tired and frustrated landlords, TFL, yeah. right? Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Again, thanks again, Cam. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much, Ross. It was great. Great having this time with you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were able to get some great golden nuggets out of it. The kindest thing that you could do is share this podcast across all social media to help as many people as possible. If you like this podcast or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or YouTube. I love bouncing ideas, people, and I love talking real estate. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode. Remember, financial freedom is just a few properties away.